Hello, and welcome to the Coffee and Comics Club. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. Good morning again. We're doing this in the morning. We are <laughs> Sunday morning. Finally, it's, it's if you've been listening in the last couple, we seem to have a, a run of mornings and then a run of evenings any old time. Yeah. So it's uh, it's nice to be drinking coffee again on the Coffee and Comics Club. Todd, what are you uh, what are you drinking this morning? Well, hi. I asked you just before we went live if you could tell my voice was super hoarse. I am once again drinking some uh, some throat coat tea or uh, yeah, that's what it's called. I think I don't know. It's one of those herbal teas that uh, should make me sound very smooth and mellifluous. Uh, yeah. How about yourself? I am drinking the last of some kind of dark roast that I've had for a while that I popped into a uh, French press, and it is almost gone. I'm going to take one more sip here. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Wow. The Foley effects in this episode are fantastic. <laughs> Everybody at home, take your sip. If you've got your coffee with you, uh, settle on it, or tea, or wine, as, as we sometimes drink. Or as sometimes I drink, depending on the night um, or the, the time. But yeah, it's a good old French press. And then I'm actually, as soon as we're done, I have to run off and get errands done today. And that also includes picking up new coffee. So next <clears> week I should have something else in the hopper or in the I, pot. I don't as it were. I've been talked about the coffee bean and tea leaf house blend that I've been making at home. Um, but I've been using that for my iced coffee and it's been pretty great. I brew Wait. Coffee, coffee beans, and tea leaves combined together. No, no, no. Sorry, that's a, a, a store name. The coffee bean and tea leaf. Oh, I was like, and tell I, me more about this magic concoction. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. fascinating. Well, um, it could be disgusting if you did it wrong, but maybe maybe there's some some voodoo magic or Eastern philosophy you've picked up that's like, yeah. You know. Um, it's been, uh, but anyway, it's just their house blend, and I, I brew it a little dark, and then, um, you know, like a, a little. Uh, I put a bunch of grounds in it when I brew it and then um, make sure it's what, what the hell am I trying to say? Anyway, once I do that and throw some, uh, some coffee ice cubes in it and a little vanilla, it's great. Excellent. Uh, so <laughs> let's jump into it today. Um, what have, what have you read this week? What are you bringing? So to uh, as if you, if you're new to the show for any reason, uh, coffee and comics club is where we sit down and talk about the books. And when I say books, I'm talking almost mainly about comics and graphic novels and we give a, a book review, talk about the co- drinks. I was going to say coffee. Sometimes it's tea. Sometimes it's wine. But we, we talk about the drinks we're, we're drinking and have just a nice little nice little chat. I, I liken it to the ending of Reading Rainbow where the kids get up there and give their book reviews. It's kind of like that, but a little more long form, uh, a little dirtier sometimes depending on who you are. And then uh, I think it's just a little bit more interesting. So that's, that's what we're here to do. My pick this week – and. I'm going to tee this up as I usually do with a, a couple hints. Um, it is a book that has that came out during the 2016 presidential election oh, and boy. was released. <laughs> yeah, you already know what it is. <laughs> it was released to coincide with that. And this is volume one. And they haven't put out anything else since. So it's a book that, that definitely de- ties into politics. It's an image release. And it's possibly it's, – it's this quirky little thing that came out that I think if you are political or apolitical or, or you know, party-affiliated or unaffiliated, you're going to read this and, and, and take away something from it. And it's, it's a book called Citizen Jack by Sam Humphreys, Tommy Patterson, John Aldernick, and Rachel Deering. And uh, – Again, an image release um, in 2016. And this is volume one. It collects uh, issues one through six. And they didn't, they didn't 
write anymore after that. And you, um, you had a little personal interaction with the author, correct? Like on Twitter? Correct. <laughs> yeah. So I forget if it was Sam Humphreys or Tommy Pedersen. I think it was Sam Humphreys. After the after this had ended, um, I reached out and I was like, hey, I'm loving the book. You know, is, is, you know when's, when's issue seven coming? And one of those guys responded just with this sort of dour, depressed, like, I, I, I don't think it, it got too real. We, we can't we can't continue on uh, for a while. We're going to have to rethink this. And let me tell you. So, so let me tell you why that is. The, the whole conceit of the book, I'm going to I'm going to I'll do the back jacket reading summary first and I'll dive into it. So it's it says uh, well it calls it a horror comedy for anyone who hates politics. I don't think that's quite accurate. Um, it does say every presidential candidate has a skeleton in their closet. Jack no- uh, Northworthy worships the devil. A scandal plagued small town politician, Jack should in no way be president, but he's got a secret weapon: Marlin Spike, a malevolent demon of high ambitions. <laughs> Together they're running for president in an outrageous campaign that America will never forget. So that is. Uh, that is a a loose, somewhat tonally, uh, like, like, like that kind of tone deaf version of what this book is. Mainly, what you got is, and this is going to sound. I hesitate to, to to get too into depth here because it's going to sound like I am. I, I don't I don't want to put any sort of emotion or slant into this. This is literally what the book is about. There is a heavy set you know, uh, sort of like just an idiot, uh, guy in Minnesota in like in a, this Northern Minnesota town, who's just this total, like just disaster. He drunk half the time. He's got really like interesting, perfectly coiffed hair. Um, and he ends up, I think he's, he starts off as mayor of this small town and he ends up running for president. And Along the way, you realize that there's this demon, and they named him Marlon Spike, who's kind of hanging around him the whole time. And the, the way they draw the demon, it's like, you know, it's like this giant, very demonic sort of sort of creature. It's not like a little elf on his shoulder, and it's not like, you know, it's not like a, a suave, you know, sort of uh, you know, person is there. It's this crazy demon, but only he can see it. And the demon um, gives him things. So, like, the demon has a vested interest in Jack becoming president. And you know, along the way, no matter what stupid, idiotic things Jack says or does, the demon somehow makes it uh, so that, that that helps his popularity. Jack eventually ends up running as a sort of a populist candidate. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't go down the party line. And he starts off really, really far behind. You know, like every, he's, he's almost a novelty candidate. Um, this wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. Does any of this sound familiar to you? <laughs> and... Uh, and so they, he runs, and then along the way, the, the you know different people come into his campaign. There's this woman uh, who's you know kind of Kellyanne Conway esque who ends up joining joining the whole thing. He ends up running, and this is the uh, this is the most interesting part. His primary rival is a woman candidate from the other party, and so that kind of becomes his primary rival. There's also another. Well, I'll get into that later. The 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 parallels between this and Trump and the Trump campaign are 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 unmistakable. It, this is not a soft sort of subtle, um, parody. It is a very, very, uh, it's, it's almost in all but name, uh, uh, direct sort of, uh, reference to the Trump campaign. Now, do you know, or, or get the impression that this was done sort of like, were they writing in advance of some of these parallels happening? 
And that's so where here's, too real. Okay. Here's the best part. Here's the best part. They started writing this uh, when the idea of Trump running was sort of being bandied about. Um, I don't know if it was exactly um, the month he because when did he he announced in like 2015, right? Yep. Um, and so I think they started writing around there, and I think they were just like, well, this could be, you know, let's. This is obviously. I think they thought this is not going anywhere. Let's do our quirky, fun little comic. And along the way, things they'd put, things they'd write like months in advance would end up happening in the real <laughs> world. So it was kind of like chaos magic writ large. Like it was, it's, it's like things and not, not a direct one for one, but sometimes mm. they were so close. You're just like, wait a second. What the hell? Um, the, the best part is the parody, the, the sort of not parody, but the, uh, the commentary on the media. So, um, at all the debates and in all the talking head kind of cable news shows in the world of this book, um, there is usually like a regular newscaster, but the, the other, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. The other newscaster or the debate host is usually a dolphin in like a suit and the dolphin <laughs> just like it and, it. and the dolphin is actually like sometimes the more eloquent, uh, you know, eloquent one of the newscasters. And sometimes he just gets really upset and starts going yeah, 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 like, just constantly, um, like just constantly, like yelling and bitchy, and you and and it's almost like the dolphin represents just the utter um, dissension into madness that the media followed Trump down that you know just down that hole. So it's they and they have a lot of really clever, cool ways of sort of illustrating the election itself. Again, without directly referencing names, the name Trump never appears. The name Hillary never appears. What about those um, things? Are, are the parties the same name or? Do they have different like have, do they have different party names with whole histories there? They don't really dwell on that too much. Like when okay. they're doing their polling, like they'll there'll be a shot of the TV and you might see like um, you know, you might see a blue line, you know, and then uh, a red right. line. Jack's line, because he's he's basically running for the Freedom Party. Um uh, you know, there's not really that's it's it's sort of an independent populist kind of thing. His is always yellow, so they kind of paint him more it's oh. less they, they did this clever thing where it's less, you know. Republicans versus Democrats or red versus blue and more like what, what happens when society uh, allows itself to be, to be sort of captured by the attention of this, this just sort of completely irreverent damaging kind of figure. And a lot of that is, well, real quick, a lot of that is, is, is influenced, like I said, very heavily by this demon and this demon and Jack and Jack doesn't necessarily, it's not like Jack, you know, worships the devil and like this demon appears Jack is – you almost think that this is like uh, an alcoholic demon at first. Like this is just sort of haunting him because he doesn't really want – like you can tell he doesn't want it. He's like, well, I don't – I'm sort of haunted by this thing. But every time this thing gives him something he wants, he sticks – you know, Jack kind of gives gives him more, in, more influence over his life. Hmm. So it's very much an unhealthy relationship. It's not like – you know, it's, it's not like Jack has is, is got some ancient book or some, you know, some scroll that he pops out and it's, it's all – sinister jack is almost just as much a a victim in all this as as anything but he's not he's certainly not a hero and he's certainly not an anti-hero it's not like he's you know it's like you're rooting for him you're just this entire time going oh my god the parallels between this and 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 the 2016 election are so real and oh my god jack jack's gonna end like in the story of this you know in the world of this book like jack is gonna end up being president and this is gonna go bad for everybody like it's it's it just there's so many things that yeah. are relevant to where we are now that are are just popping up throughout this book, which is why I think again that's probably why 
the creative team got a little bit depressed and we're just like, man, we, we yeah. have to stop writing this. Well, uh, you, you uh, uh, hinted at this a little bit, but is there a way to read this where the demon is like a, like a psychological demon or something like it? Is there a way to read it where it's not a literal demon, but we're thinking of this candidate wrestling with his demons or something? I would say that's kind of a spoilery question in the beginning okay. of the book. You definitely get the sense that this could be a psychological demon. Gotcha. In the latter half of this book, things happen that make you maybe question that, but it's not always a hundred percent guarantee. Like there, there is always an open door to that question, but they give you little hints along the way. Okay. Um, um, I will say this, by the way, the the art is. Um, I'm trying to just. It, the art is somewhat reminiscent of um, Manhattan Projects. A little, you know, there's a little bit of that style. Like when they draw Jack, he's got a lot of, you know, like you know, hair and just kind of he's really wavy, and then you know, everything's kind of, you know, it's got a, sort of a, uh, I don't want to describe it, just kind of a, a very sort of rough kind of look to it. Um, the coloring is really really sharp. I love the coloring in this thing, uh, but the way they draw Marlon Spike. And the way they do his speech bubbles, and this is important too, because I've actually I've I've given this to two other people, and I, I wanted to see what voice they heard as well. It's almost universal that the voice you hear when you read Marlon Spike's dialogue is that of Jack Nicholson. And so it's I in, a, in the you know TV show version of this, like I it, I would love if you have Jack Nicholson still banging around out there, like to have him do the voice because it's just it's so perfect. It's just him, and it's there's a lot there's a lot of layers to that, right? Like. On one hand, this is sort of the descent into madness of this character, Jack Northworthy. Um, you know, Jack Nicholson obviously played characters like that, you know, notably uh, Jack Torrance um, in The Shining. So I don't know. If, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't kind of intentional. And then you see Marlon Spike, you see this demon pop in and out. And the way they're sort of the way they give his dialogue, it just kind of it has a lot of the same pattern, beat and articulation of Jack huh. Nicholson. So it's just it's really interesting. Hmm. Um, and the way he pops up too, it's like, you know, sometimes he's giant, sometimes he's a little smaller, sometimes he's, the demon appears, like, you know, Jack falls through the ice early on in like, a, you know, a Minnesota pond, he just kind of falls through the ice, and the demon is, you can see the demon's head is made up of all the barnacles and fish swimming around kind of in this open, you know, open lake that Jack is about to drown in. So it's, it's kind of surreal sometimes, and sometimes it's not, um, but in either case, the character of the demon is very... You know, it's it's very much a character. It's not, you know, he he does things. Jack asks him to do things. That you know, the demon clearly has influence over this world and over Jack. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned uh, uh, the dolphin that appears on um, you know cable talk news. Are there other surrealistic elements like that 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 appear? Good question. Um, that's the only one of that nature. Um, you know, like they. It, it, <laughs> And they never, it's never like, why is it, no one ever stops and asks, why is there a dolphin? You know, everybody right. just goes with it. It's purely meant to be metaphorical, like, and, and surreal, you know, surrealist. And that's a great way to put it, like in the, the world of the book. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking, I'm thumbing through it as we go. Other than that, you know, sometimes you'll see other characters do things like uh, Jack's father um, plays a role in this. You know, Jack's father is very much a character who, so, kind of like Ty Tywin Lannister, you know, kind of self-made, you know, the respectable patriarch of the family. And Jack's just the fuck up who yeah. can never do anything right. Um, 
again, very similar. If you know, if you know Trump's history, a lot, kind of similar to that too. I, you know, it's clear they they definitely intentionally drew on on a lot of the reference points and context of the election without actually using names or you know like the identity places, you know, actual things like that. And I, it's it's a richer book for it, right? If they, yeah. you know, if if he. You know, if, if if Hillary Clinton was his actual opponent, I wouldn't have been probably as interested. Right. Like this right. whole thing has to be a giant sort of metaphor, com, you know, meta commentary for it to work as well as it does. So um, it, does reality TV factor into this at all? A little bit. Um, okay. The idea like early on, you see like like the thing that kind of kicks Jack, like Jack's entire campaign off is that he's like and this is like the first shot you see. It's a giant splash page of him in a pink bathrobe. The cowboy hat on and a handgun and a, wh- a bottle of Jack Daniels in the other hand, riding his uh, riding his snowplow down the street, like just antagonizing everybody, <laughs> right? And then like that's you know kind of like the last straw. The town's kind of sick of him. Everybody's sick of him. Um, and then he decides to uh, hang on here. Let me pull this up. All I see uh, is uh, Burt Reynolds from Striptease. I mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Um, like he does this. So the thing that kind of launches him is that he, he goes to this lake and he, you know, he's got the American flag draped around him and he like flurls it off and he's just got swim trucks on. And so he jumps, he jumps into the, the lake, almost like a, like a, a baptism, if you will. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the thing. And he get and he gets out of the lake and his trunks fall down and, you know, he's standing there naked, you know, buck ass naked and freezing cold. And that's, you know, that gets captured on camera and that sort of becomes a viral video. So then everybody's laughing at this guy, you know, like all the media is like, he's a dumbass of the day, you know, like all these things, uh, everybody's laughing at him, but it's just, it's spreading his message. In that video, he makes a sort of a populist claim. And so that, you know, the media is spreading that message, the news, you know, the TV media, especially uh, just gives him more notoriety. And, and through that, he, he becomes, you know, sort of a very, very dark horse candidate at first, like polling at like 1%. Um, so in the answer, this is all a weird, long winded way to answer your question. The reality TV angle is more through that lens. The right. you know, like how does how does the the starved, hyper competitive TV media latch onto these ideas, and how far do they take them, and you know, where do they draw the line in terms of of ethics and and um, and sort of integrity? And you realize that the media of this world is just as anxious as ours to just throw all that, all that out the window if it means you know, winning the, winning the cycle that week or winning yeah. the, you know, winning. So that's, that's huh. incredibly disappointing too. Um, the reason I'll, I'll, I'll kind of end here. The reason that I was really hoping they'd continue is that as the story progresses, there are little bit, you know, little points of light that give you some hope, like some characters that start to kind of realize what's going on. And some of them are in his campaign and some of them are outside observers, but you kind of get the sense that, Oh, they're, they're, they could help steer this to the right way, so there's more story to tell. Um, I just, <laughs> I, I wonder if the writers, if the creative team will, you know, especially given the events of the last couple weeks. You know, we're talking yeah. at the end of August of 2018, so you can, you can Google the Google all that. I wonder if they aren't going to come back into the mix to to finish it now because there has been so much. In our, you know, in the real world, in terms yeah, of exactly, it's almost like they could now they could take a literal events that have happened and wrap them into the the fictional world they've created and see where you know. But where, I really do, I really do feel like they almost feel some responsibility, ah. <laughs> just you know, like cosmically 
by having written this in a way. And it is, it, there's some of it that is uncanny. Um, like oh, they boy. get to the, like, like one of the scenes I'll, I'll call out in particular is there's a debate. So by the time Jack, uh, Jack gets to the debate, he's, you know, with the freedom party, his opponent, Charlotte Pickens, which is as close to a Hillary Clinton, like you sort of, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word metaphor, but like an amount, like, you know, basically like an amalgam of all Hillary Clinton. Right. Right. Uh, you know, he's, he's debating her and he's just saying ludicrous, ridiculous things on stage. You know, and this was, what's that? (laughs) You're the puppet. Yeah. And so, and so, and this was before the actual, you know, like the debate happened between the two of them. So you're, you're reading this going, Oh God, like they're, they're getting so much accurate here. Um, so anyway, yeah. and, And at some point, like I said, you, you do feel a little bit sorry for Jack, but he's not, he's not anybody to root for. So the only people to root for, I would think are, these kind of side characters who start to get a little bit more savvy as the story goes on. Now does um, it, does it like uh, end in a, maybe not satisfactory place uh, like, you know, what, like maybe not the good guys win kind of thing, but does it, does it end in a satisfactory way? Like where if they never made another issue, you could be okay with this volume. Does it sort of stand alone? Um, <laughs> let's just say the ending panel is one oh, where boy. the music would go. Bum, 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 oh boy. and then credits. And so if you like that kind of ending, then yeah, this is, this is your ending. I, I, you know, as somebody who hopes for something good to happen, uh, and not as, you know, not that, and, and not for the scary thing to happen as the ending, like I would, I would wish they'd go on, but you know, if they leave it just here, this could kind of function as a, as this quirky little metacultural criticism that, you know, is very much of, you know, if anybody wanted, to, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, if people come to me and go, hey, you know, what was it like being ah. there during the 2016 election? I could hand them this book and be like, this perfectly summarizes the just utter insanity oh of God. that time. You know, just hand that to them like this. It, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if it's not, you know, a, a historical reference in that way. Like, you know, art, art often is the outlet to sort of yeah. best describe the emotions of that time. And this is definitely this is definitely that. Awesome. I'm so glad you finally did this because we've been talking about it for two years and I have uh, neglected to pick it up. So this just makes me even more anxious to go grab a copy. <laughs> Excellent. And and I'm glad I had to actually go back because I have referenced it so many times. I was like, have I not? Have I not no. <clears throat> reviewed it yet? And surely enough, I had not. I think back in some of our like summary episodes, you may have talked about it. Um, but even still, I, you've given me a ton of details right now that I you know, did not remember or was not aware of. So um, yeah, yeah that, that sounds awesome. I will. I'll just say. I'll caution this. If you're if you're currently battling a form of depression or just like a, a, a lack of optimism, don't read this just mm. yet. You know, this is something to maybe read. Like we kind of need to know where our own <laughs> world is is headed uh, a little bit more. Um, if you're somebody who just wants to, you know, get a feeling for that, definitely read it. But it's. It will leave you feeling deflated at the end if you're not, if you're in a, a poor headspace. So just keep that in mind. That's a great note. Um, because there's definitely, I mean, it's hard to sort of pick and choose. Man, all week, um, I've just been, uh, I, I've watched a couple movies, old movies, and watching them in our current political environment is, gives them this totally different context. And it's like, oh, fuck, can, can, can I watch anything without feeling this, you know, like seeping influence of, uh, of news and, and politics. 
So mm. uh, is idiocracy one of those things? It was not. I but I uh, honestly, I, so I watched No Way Out, which is one of my uh. favorite movies with Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is about a secret Russian agent uh, implanted in uh, high levels of government. And um, it's an awesome thriller from like early 90s or uh, maybe even late 80s. Sean Young's in it. It's great. I have to admit, I've never, I've never oh my seen God. this movie. It's on Amazon Prime and it is so good. I think it's up there with like Hunt for Red October. And oh, fact, geez. also has Fred Dalton Thompson in it. Um, anyway, mm. sorry, sorry for that. And then I watched uh, Godfather. So you can kind of make the... <laughs> I do. There. I do want to give one more little note. Um, definitely yeah, yeah. buy this as a trade paperback. Uh, oh, the great! Covers, I'm so glad you added that. The covers of individual issues are amazing. So if you want to collect it, I would you know don't hesitate to do that. But it is it definitely works as a complete volume. You know they they even you know the uh, very few books books actually do this, which is surprising. But like it actually takes each one and calls it chapter three, chapter four, oh, yeah. you know chapter five, the abyss, chapter four, the devil inside. So it, it treats it more like the issues are actual real chapters in this like complete narrative. Um, and it, it moves in such a way that you really do want to like consume the whole thing in one shot. It's, it's a, I remember being a little frustrating to have to wait a month uh, oh. in between reading. So it's definitely, it's, it's proper format is that of the trade paperback. Very cool. I, I have got a book um, that I, uh, I alluded to a couple weeks ago. Um, very opposite of that in terms of structure, as you're saying that about chapters, I didn't get any of that, but um, so I'm going to talk about uh, my blacks don't match by Drew Rausch, Drew Rausch, and Jocelyn. I never got an answer on this last name. I'm just going to throw this out there, Gageway, but I don't okay. know if that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> look up DrewRausch.com. Uh, so this is what we read. Uh, my guest, um, a few episodes ago, uh, Lainey, um, is a a clerk at the comic book store where I go. And she runs a comic books and graphic novels book club. And we talked about Punk Rock Jesus, which was June's pick of the month. And Mm -hmm. My Blacks Don't Match was our August book. So this is the first time I went to the comic book book club, uh, which is called Comics Bang. And and this was the book we read. And uh, I was unable to grab time with her this week to record like a solo episode with her just just talking about this book. So I thought I'd talk about it with you, which may be a better audience because you may, um, <clears throat> having not read it, you may come to it with, uh, you know, those outsider questions, which would be really interesting. But as I said, it it is the opposite of what you just discussed. There are no chapter titles. And in fact, a big thing that we talked about, it seemed like everyone had this issue who, everyone who came into it not knowing what to expect started reading this and feeling like there were natural sort of chapter breaks. Sometimes those mm. are pretty obvious but sometimes it was just you know the the color palette would change and so you would know you were in a new story but well sorry you would you would know that something you know you're you're in the next episode but then what would happen was whatever had happened in the episode before was not actually resolved and it's not actually continued into the next episode and i literally like uh you know i i probably read three or four of these before i went Oh yeah, I knew that. You know, it kind of came back to me. Oh, this might have been a web comic, and I skipped to the end and read some of their DVD extras and saw that they, uh, author and artist, are, are I think a husband and wife team, um, or, or at least sort of personal partners as well as professional partners, and that they had described it as like working on these little vignettes, and it was like that was when it clicked in my head. Like, oh, I, this is not a continuous story exactly. These are, mm. these are just vignettes from this world. Um, 
already forgotten the name of the town. What is it? Uh, it is uh, autumn. Uh, shoot. Well, let me let uh, me I'll break into it. Is uh, it the same artist for each vignette, or do they yeah. switch it up? Okay, no, it's the same. So, um, yeah, it definitely looks the same. But uh, okay, it's Autumn's Grove is the name of this town, and it has this really. Uh, interesting setup, which is described on the back of the book, which is it is a small, sleepy town that suffers from Samhainophobia, the fear of Halloween. Mm. So they have outlawed Halloween, but it is the most like goth Halloween town <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, so uh, the only way that one of the tricky things is that this isn't really described in the content of the book at all. Um, that's the setup that's written on the back cover and there's a radio or a TV broadcast that's overheard saying, you know, well, it's the annual cancellation of our Halloween festival this year. And that's only the, that's the only like hint you get of like, oh, they, every year they set this up and then they cancel it every year. Um, but then from there it's like, uh, so in autumn's grove, there's only one season autumn. So it is the perfect Halloween town, which I love this. Uh, this tension of having like, you know, I have so many friends who are like, can't wait for pumpkin spice lattes or their favorite, ha <laughs> favorite Halloween or it's yeah, everybody. Like I know so many people that love that autumn autumnal season. And so what they've done in this, in this setting is create this like perfect town for all of those people, except they've banned all the shit that you don't, you know, that would make it like take it to that no. extra step. Did, is is the reason for that the central arc of the book? No, there's no arc to this book that I can tell. Um, there was a very funny moment, I thought, in our uh, book club where someone said, well, I, I hope in volume two they kind of show us where all this is going. And uh, and and one of the participants who who knows um, the the creator said, don't hold your breath. Oh, <laughs> so, interesting. So it's not like so, – so the reason or the rationale behind that decision, why – you know, the, the banning of Halloween, that's not – that's not the the main like no. you, that's that's just there. It's yep. almost like it's dare I say it's almost like what is the mystery of the island and lost? Like it, it doesn't matter. We'll keep talking about it, but there's no real. That's there's, we're not going to really bother explaining right. that to you. So so then it's this town um, populated by a ton of you know the uh, the normal people you would expect in this town, but also like straight out of Edward Scissorhands or Nightmare Before Christmas, like yeah. creatures and people. So the I, this is a, a strange term to use uh, given that setup, but the main character, uh, or at least the one that we have the most sort of personal connection to, is named Salamandrina Jones, but she shortens it to Salem. And uh, <laughs> so she, we, we kind of follow her. She works in a photography studio called Pictures of You. Um, uh, where they take pictures of you. Um, and you know, she's forced to wear like a colorful little beanie. And, um, she has this, uh, the, um, the hairstyle they, they refer to in the DVD extras as a, a bee hawk. Um, so it's, a it's sort of like a, a side cut where it's like sort of shaved mohawk thing, but then she's got it up in a, a beehive sort of deal. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, she, the, the point being like, she sort of stands out in this town. She's sort of the, the goth or the punk or whatever um, with this bright pink uh, hairstyle and often wearing the multicolored beanie that she has to for work outside of work. Um, and then she is mostly friends with this, uh, this person named gray who is kind of this ringleader, like a, like a, actually they, that may be the background that he was um, 
oh they yeah they say that um the idea behind his background was that he was a performer that left the circus so he is like right i mean just straight out of of uh um uh a tim burton movie you know mm. um mm-hmm. i don't even know i was gonna to say this. well i'm looking at the art as you talk <laughs> yeah. and it is it is a perfect it is a perfect combination of burton-esque visual and aesthetic and i hate fairyland like it's got I, sort of yeah. that, a wonderful hybrid of those two things and that's not to put it down like that's no. no way disparaging it but like if you want like if you're thinking like what is what could this possibly look like just imagine i hate fairyland with tim burton's visual and you've got a lot of that yeah um there are uh, that's exactly right and i i'm so glad you brought up fairyland uh, i hate fairyland because that's that's so true um and the one thing that I got from reading it that someone else mentioned in the book group, which I thought was great, was Ren and Stimpy. Like you get, oh, yeah. you get kind of this feeling, especially because of the absurdity, I think, of each little tiny vignette. Like just mm-hmm. where it ends without you feeling like it concluded. I, I think that actually lends to that Ren and Stimpy feeling of like, you know, you you would watch the end of a Ren and, some of those original Ren and Stimpy cartoons and you're like, wait, that's it? That was the fun. You know, like the punchline at the end wasn't always what you expected. And uh yeah, that's so. This really yeah. does like saying that having hearing that uh, makes and yeah, and I was trying to grasp at what else this reminded me of, and you nailed it. This this would be right at home as like an early '90s Nickelodeon like animated show. It seems like yeah. it has that same like Ah, Real Monsters, Ren and Stippy, Rocco's Modern Life. Like oh, this yeah. fits wonderfully <laughs> in that sort of that world of, of that style. You know. Yeah. Uh, um. And when you right as you said that, I'd flip to this page where I, I think it's the same artist, but the style definitely cribs from like that that Ren and Stimpy style, um, mm-hmm. Rocco's Modern Life kind of looking um, thing. There's a <clears throat> the other thing it does that's uh, really interesting. That's like very Tim Burton esque is things will appear very, uh, you know, not not sanguine exactly. But actually, that's a really good word because it has something to do with blood. But um, <laughs> where where everything's sort of sort of on a normal level, but something so gross has happened. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a, a a detective investigating a murder where the entire face has been just scooped off of this person, mm. and the way they draw it is not really gory. It's just sort of like a round head that's just there's it just looks like an egg, sort of like they've just, <laughs> they've just scooped everything off of the face, but left the eyeballs, which are just perfect globes. You know, they're not like gross and uh, anatomically correct eyeballs. They're just cartoon globes with dots in them, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's such a gross idea that, you know, at once I'm like, you, you, you'd be reading it thinking like, oh, this is a fun, spooky kids book. And then that would happen. You're like, oh, no, I can't show any kids this. That's horrifying. <laughs> um there's a couple of uh, definite like eyeball gags um, mm-hmm. like that, that one about the eyes and a, another couple things that happen with eyes. And um, uh, I believe Lainey pointed out in the group that uh, I think Jocelyn was working um, some, something in the, like it, it, it w- was doing something in the medical field of like eyes when, when they were writing this, which was just mm. a crazy little behind the scenes thing. But um, it, it's also interspersed with like these just one page really uh like sepia toned um you know kind of uh, cartoony comic booky but but horrible sort of halloween um uh drawings and then like a uh, just a little short story so that's mm-hmm. sort of one of the chapter breaks that'll happen or these just these these short stories that are just all text with one drawing um mm-hmm. that feels like it came out of like an old 
book of Halloween stories or something. And then there are other sets that all feature this one character that they, you, I think you only find out in the behind the scenes stuff that is, he's called the director. He looks very Edgar Allan Poe and they're all very <laughs> monochrome with only red. Like it'll be blacks and grays with just little highlights of red in them. And it'll just be like a one page of some horrible thing happening with him. But it doesn't, you know, that doesn't like play into the larger narrative or it, not that there is much of a larger narrative, but it, it just, <clears throat> you know, it seems like they had a bunch of ideas all based around this theme and they were just putting them out like this. One of the other things I learned in the uh, book club was that it, these weren't originally released as like web comics where an entire vignette would appear at a time. Sometimes it would just be like a panel or a page. So was this, well, let me ask you that. Was it released as a web comic first? Was that the original yes, medium for well, it? Okay. They were releasing these stories on the web, but it wasn't like one day you would get the complete story, you know? Oh, sure. But, but it was might, always, yeah. it wasn't like this was for print or appeared in, in, no. in book form first. It was all web based. And then yeah. from there. And I, so I have a, you know, I, it was, uh, you, you know, me wanting the story to wrap up and all that kind of stuff. Um, this was not something that I would have, it, it definitely doesn't satisfy me in that need for stories and whatever, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. reading it, uh, like having that social experience of, of going to a, a book club to talk about this and hearing everyone else's, you know, sort of confusion or their likes and dislikes about it. Um, it, it really stood out like how engaging this book is and like how interesting it is to talk about. Um, my friend Chris had actually texted me this week to ask about, uh, you know, it, uh, the experience of like hearing about the social side of comic book interactions. And I think um, it's just sort of like what you and I now let me sidebar for a second. I definitely want to talk to Lainey about that because I, I think that would be a really interesting uh, podcast to do of her experience of, organizing this group um mm. but also it's very similar to what you and i do which is like we <clears throat> it's so many of these books that we've read wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily forget about them individually but just talking about them on a podcast makes it like that you know it's we realize what we appreciate about them so much more i think from doing that and mm -hmm. so i definitely felt that with this and on top of that i will say it is such a beautiful print artifact like, do mm. not bother with the webcomic because, I mean, go check it out. And if you like the art, just just get the print edition because it is on, like, thick paper. The colors are amazing. It is just like, I mean, it must have been, I guess it's self-published, but it looks so great. And it just feels so great in your hand. And it's, um, I mean, it's, like, kudos to I love, Drew and I, Jocelyn because it is. this is I like love, a, uh... a keeper. Well, I love that because especially because it started digitally on web that they took the yeah. time and care to make something really special physically to to complement that. Like that's a great that's how honestly, that's how they should all be. Right. Like when you if, especially yeah. if you start on the digital format, like the only way to really capture somebody's, um, you know, and then granted, you and I are more collectors. You know, we're sort of we always kind of go for that whenever we can anyway. But it's just it's a great way to give the comic book shop some love to carry it you know to yeah. bridge that gap between exactly. physical and digital which you and i are always trying to do you know if, if, with each of our picks trying to find the best well, optimized format for everything I, I just you know this is one of those things where if you if you pitched it all to me and you know as much as i might have been a, attached to those tim burton-esque ren and stimpy um uh you know references i it would still be a harder sell for me to just go 
you know, search it out on my own. But like you say, if this were like, if this is in a comic book shop, I'm going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if, even if it's not sort of the, the genre that I'm most into, like it is just so good looking. And then once you pick it up and it feels so good, it's like you, I, I'm just so in awe of that because, uh, as like, you know, when you self-publish something that often they're not able to, you know, you just don't have the means to make something yeah, uh, rise yeah. above the, the quality that's expected. And this definitely like goes above and beyond. So um, yeah, it is called My Blacks Don't Match. And just go to DrewRausch.com um, or just Google that that name and you will find this. Fantastic. Well, I man, I, I'm going to go get that as, as soon as we're done too. Yeah. Um, great. Well, you can find the Coffee and Comics Club uh, anywhere podcasts are available. Pocket Cast, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts. I always forget which ones are Stitcher. Any anything but Spotify at this juncture. Um, <laughs> Player anywhere, FM, <laughs> Player FM, all all of those wonderful places. And you can also find all of our shows at findusthere.org. There you'll find this show, Wednesday in Westeros, the Hardy Hardy Boys Drink Cast, and many other fine programs. Todd, where can folks find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Hey Todd A. What about yourself? I am uh, by Taylor Trask on those mediums and uh, definitely give us a shout there with any comments, requests, anything you want to see us read or talk about. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll happily look at it. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great episode and I look forward to talking to you again next week. We'll see you then. Bye.